today. It's just a little few more of you back from holidays each week. It's good to see you here. If you've missed the last few weeks, then I encourage you, um, if you're interested in being satisfied, if you're interested in being wise, then I would suggest you go back and have a look at the last few weeks' sermons um, on this book of Ecclesiastes, because we're already like halfway through um, this series. And you know, this is a standalone message as well. I'm sure it's going to be helpful for you today, as every part of God's Word is. But if you want to get a little bit more, then it'd be very helpful, I'm sure, for you to get back. And before we launch into Ecclesiastes this morning, I want to, I'm going to show you a quote. And I found at least four people that have been referenced as quoting this. So I'm not even sure who owns it, but this was the oldest one I could find. This is the quote. And maybe you can relate and maybe you've learned. I'm wondering if you've learned this life lesson yet. I don't know the key to success, but the key to failure is trying to please everybody. Who's learned that lesson yet? Who knows how to fail? <laughs> Few of you. <laughs> Who's still trying to work out how to succeed? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not really sure, and I think that's what this message is actually about today. Now, this isn't from the Bible per se, but actually I think it fits very nicely with what Solomon's trying to teach us um, this morning in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. In Ecclesiastes, as we've been learning, it's a book about meaning. Where do we find meaning? And if you have a flick back, if you're in chapter 7 and you have a flick back in the previous chapters, you'll see that some of the titles of the chapters are Toil is Meaningless, Money is Meaningless, Pleasure is Meaningless. All this stuff is meaningless. And here in this chapter, chapter 7, the title in my Bible just says Wisdom almost tricks us into thinking he's got it worked out by now. But no, we go on and we discover there's more that is meaningless. But these, these little verses right in the, in the meaning, in the centre of the book, um, speak to that we're going to look at this morning, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 21 and 22. They speak to one of the biggest issues, I think, for us today in having to sort out what it's going to look like to live a satisfied, meaningful life. We've got to deal with this if actually we're going to live a life of meaning. Ecclesiastes 7, 21 to 22. Let's have a look. It says, Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. This whole book, as I said, is a search for meaning. Does work matter? Does love matter? Does pleasure matter? What will truly satisfy? Solomon's like ticking off these things, almost methodolog methodologically, I can't even think of that word. Me methodically. methodically, thank you, methodically. <laughs> That's it, mental blank. Um, he's ticking off these things and saying, no, nope, this doesn't work, this doesn't work. And here we come. And he says in chapter 7, here's another thing to discard from your list if you're trying to work out how to be happy, how to get ultimate leading. He said, the last thing you should do is listen to every last thing that people say about you. The opinions of the masses, no, they don't satisfy either. This sounds so simple, doesn't it? But it really is a life-changing idea if we can actually let it sink into our lives. I think many of us get caught up in chasing after the approval of the many, instead of grounding ourselves in that unconditional love of God and the peace that comes according to living according to how he wants us to live. 
Am I the only one this morning who sometimes tries to find myself living for the affirmation that comes from other people instead of the call on God's life? Anyone else relate a little bit sometimes? Oh, thank you. Thanks for being nice to me. But we do live in a world where there's no shortage of opinions, a world that wants to evaluate, critique, rate everything. We rate hotel stays, restaurant experiences, shopping experiences, movie experiences. We rate all sorts of things. Most recently, um, I was away, as you know, for a little while last year, and I know these exist in Australia too, but it seemed like everywhere I went, I saw this sign. How was your restroom experience today? These were like at the doors as you left bathrooms. One particular one that I found interesting was the door of a bathroom in Disneyland Paris. Like not once was I asked to rate the rides or the food or the staff, but I was asked to rate my bathroom experience. I don't know um, how you feel about this, but I'm not actually sure what they're asking. Like, are they asking me to rate the experience of the condition of the bathroom or they're actually asking me to rate my experience in the bathroom. <laughs> because it seems to me like there's some factors that are a little bit out of their control in my experience in the bathroom that day. <laughs> but I, I didn't go to a restaurant. I didn't go to a movie. I didn't go to a museum. I went to a toilet and they wanted a rating on that. I've got to tell you, I rated no times. <laughs> Sarah loves rating everything, just for the record. <laughs> everything is relatable, is rateable, sorry, <laughs> up for review up for critique, how many stars, how many likes. It's so easy to get caught up in allowing ourselves to be rated as well. Letting ourselves be defined by anything other than what God created us to be and the purpose that God has for us is meaningless, just as meaningless as all the other things that Solomon has listed and written about to date. Solomon, all those years ago, so many thousands of years ago, knew what it was like to live for the opinions of others. He tried that, he says, and it was just as meaningless as chasing after the wind because it doesn't last. It's not just meaningless, in fact, it's dangerous. When you live for the opinions of the crowd, it's almost impossible to stay on course with the calling that God's given you for who he wants you to be. Because God's calling on your life, you'll find, doesn't really line up with the parameters that the world decides you need to be successful, to be highly rated. What one person loves, another person hates. Who knows this? What one person thinks is amazing, another person thinks is a total failure. I loved the new Mary Poppins movie. Phil thought it was the worst movie he's ever seen. Like, who knows? If we try to respond and work ourselves for the benefit of everyone, to please everyone, we're going to be so tired pivoting and going with the masses that we're going to end up so far from the calling that God has placed on our life. Don't pay attention to every word people say, Solomon warns. It's a trap. You know, so much, not just here in um, Ecclesiastes, but so much of the biblical narrative all throughout scripture is about God teaching his people not to have idols, not to go after anything else but him, to seek after him and really, this is just another idol, allowing people's, of opinion, people's opinions of us to define us, to decide what we do, how we behave, where we spend our money, what we think. That's an idol. We never feel peace. This happened in Solomon's time. Fast forward a little bit to the Gospel of John in Jesus' time over 2,000 years ago. John 12, 43 says this. 
about the Pharisees. Jesus says they loved human praise more than praise from God. People have been caught, can I say, between praise from God and praise from people for as long as humanity exists. And it's no different today. In fact, I read this week someone said that Ecclesiastes' message is more relevant today than ever before. Not just timeless, but so relevant for where we've landed today. I'm a core officer, as you know, and I'm a mum. And really, between those um, two roles, I live in a continual high feedback zone. <laughs> if I feel like you've got any roles in life where you're just like wearing a, please tell me what you think, you know, like um, thing on your head. Um, I think that each year my skin has thickened a little bit more, um, necessarily. But um, it's because I've needed to stop analysing what everyone says, their words, the way they look at me, because it was getting me off track, both as a, both as a parent and as a core officer, because everybody's got their opinion about what should be. It's impossible to please everyone in my house when it comes to dinner time. That's the reality. It's impossible to please everyone in my family when it comes to what we watch on TV, what, where we go for holidays, who gets to use what car when. It's impossible to please everyone. Stop nodding so much, my family. <laughs> I know, I'm failing when it comes to approval of my family. And going on, it's impossible to please everyone in this church, did you know, that when it comes to service times, programs, song choice, preaching topics, car parks, or any one of a billion things, we have people in our lives all the time, I'm sure you can relate, telling you how things should be, where you should spend your time, what you should do. Bosses, parents, neighbours, colleagues, experts, throwing out opinions and approval or criticism. So I want to suggest this morning that we need to find ways to process this. We need to find ways to make sure, as Solomon suggested, that we don't listen to the words of every single person. When we find ourselves facing criticism, criticism which can be important, we need to pay attention not to what every, every word that people say, but we need to learn how to pay attention effectively. And so I'm going to suggest a few things, three things this morning based on Scripture that we need to learn in order to process this, the words of people. So the first thing I think we need to do, or I know we need to do, is we need to hold tight to our calling. We just sang the song, Who You Say I Am. We need to hold tight to who God says we are and what he's asking of us. Because I think most of us in this room would agree that's the opinion that matters most, right? Right? Yes. Excellent. <laughs> Criticism comes. It's going to come. When you try to make a difference, when you try to do something new, when you try to change a system, when you try to be more effective, criticism's going to come. There's a story in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And God has just made Saul the king. And he'd given him very clear instructions about how to keep his people safe. But Saul didn't obey the instructions because it wasn't what the people wanted. And so God sent the prophet Samuel to talk to Saul. And Samuel says to Saul, You've been disobedient to God. That's why your people are in danger. And Saul kept on saying, but I did what God asked me to do. And Samuel's like, no, you didn't. If you'd done what God had asked you to do, the people would have been safe. And Saul had convinced himself that actually in listening to the people and responding to their requests and keeping them happy, that he'd kept God happy. But finally, in verse 24 of 1 Samuel 15, Saul confesses and he says this. He says, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them. 
So someone that you're afraid of this morning that you're giving into instead of listening to God's instructions. Saul lost sight of the calling God had put on his life, clear calling, because the voices around him became so much louder than God's. And it had really bad consequences, if you want to read on, in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and 16. Another quite dramatic example of this in the Bible is in Luke chapter 23. And Pontius Pilate wants to set Jesus free. You might remember this story. And he, he calls the people, this, this guy hasn't really done that much wrong. Let's set him free. He felt that that's what God wanted him to do. But the crowd is loud. And it shouts louder and louder to a certain point where he then breaks. Luke 23, 23. Listen to this verse. Says, but with loud shouts, they insistently demanded he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. What a haunting verse. Their shouts prevailed. Another version says, Pilate caved and gave them what they wanted. Jesus was crucified. It was God's plan, sure. But look at this human perspective. Jesus was crucified because this man couldn't stand up to the voices of the crowd and follow what God was telling him was right. I don't want to be that kind of person who wanders away from God's call because the voices prevail. When you've been called to something, I can almost guarantee that you're going to receive criticism. Something small, something big, it doesn't really matter. So we've got to keep that calling of God at the forefront of our mind so that we hear that louder than the voices. Acts 20, 24 says this. This is a calling on on Paul's life and he says this. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work God assigned by the Lord Jesus Christ. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul says, means nothing, nothing means anything unless I finish the call that God has placed on my life. I consider the approval of the crowd worth nothing. He might say, your opinion won't get away in in the way of what God wants to do for me. Can we have that call so strongly on our lives Let's not fall into the, the trap of Pontius Pilate, of King Saul, of the Pharisees. Hold tight to the calling God has placed on our life. Now, I think it's important, number two, we're up to now, I think it's important for us to look at that verse from Ecclesiastes carefully because actually we do need to listen to some voices. We're pretty foolish if we don't. But we need to develop a filter We need to develop a filter so we can decide what voices get airtime in our life. What voices are we going to listen to? I think if I was writing Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 21 and 22, I would say not everyone we need to listen to, but not no one. I know that's a double negative, but not everyone, but not no one. Let's not be so arrogant to think that we don't need anyone's opinion in our lives, that we don't need to listen to any voices. It doesn't say, King Solomon doesn't say, don't pay attention to any words people say. It says, don't pay attention to every word people say. Proverbs 29 verse 1 says, whoever stubbornly refuses to accept criticism will suddenly be broken beyond repair. Don't mistake the message from Jesus or the message from Solomon this morning in our lives as being arrogant, that we don't need to listen to other people's opinions. 
when, when the people that I love correct me or tell me the hard truth, I want to hear it. I want to understand it. When those in my world who I trust to provide accurate feedback come to me, I need to face it. I need to learn from it. If we don't accept people's criticism, we won't grow. We'll become arrogant and we're in dangerous territory. But we, we, we have to accept criticism, but not all criticism should be weighed equally in our lives. You know, some people, you would know some people that take criticism equally. They take the words of a best friend and the words of an unkind stranger and they allow them to have the same volume in their head. Sometimes the unkind stranger gets a louder volume in their brain. They have no filter. Everything travels to their head and to their heart and they're crippled by it. An offhand comment from a stranger pulls them down. A bad review of their work from a boss hugely embarrasses them and they seek another job. But there's also people that live at the other extreme. They never ask for feedback. They're dismissive. They shut out crucial words from family and strangers alike. They think they know what's right. They have a certainty, in fact, that everyone else is wrong. Anyone that disagrees with them is a fool or a hater or they just don't get it. Maybe you've heard someone say, and maybe you found yourself saying at times, I just don't care what anyone says about me. Well, that's not biblical either. We should absolutely care what some people say about us. It's just a matter of deciding who. Who are the safe people? Who are the people that God's placed on our path to help us grow? And who are the critics who want to tear us down? What voices are going to matter to me? What voices are going to matter a lot? And what voices are going to matter a little? And what voices do I really need to dismiss? Not everyone, but not no one. The people who I listen to in my life, who God's encouraged me to listen to, are the people who who echo, reinforce, if you like, God's love for me and his belief in me. doesn't mean they think I'm perfect, it doesn't mean they, they, um, they, they are perfect, but it means they'll tell me the truth in an effort to build me up and help me follow God's path rather than to tear me down or to hurt me intentionally. Proverbs 27.6 says, Wounds from, from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. There are certain people who it's good to hear something bad about us from. Who are those people? Who are those people for you? In an ideal world, they would be the people close to us, maybe our immediate family. But you know, my experience, not my personal experience, my experience in walking with people and doing some reading and research tells me that that's not the case for probably the majority of people. In fact, so many of the wounds that people carry are not from the opinions of strangers, but from the opinions of those people who should love us the most. If the people who, lo- who, who love us, sorry, if the people this morning who are closest to us intentionally hurt us, if they consistently speak in ways that make us feel less or wounded, let's be careful to take them to God and ask his opinion this morning on whether we need to listen to their voices or whether we need to draw a boundary, protect ourselves from their words and find other people to listen to. Don't pay attention to every word people say. 
I've been reading um, recently a book by um, Brené Brown and a few people I know have read that. And um, she talks about the people that we should listen to and allow to feed back into our life should fit on an inch square piece of paper. Now, that's pretty tiny. For for us new people, like new people to the world, young people, an inch is like 2.5 centimetres. So we're talking about 2.5 by 2.5. We're talking now a little tiny square. Now, depending on your handwriting, most of us would only fit maybe two, three or four people on that piece of paper. It's pretty tight. Those people who we allow to speak into our lives and to tell us when we're gone astray. Who are those people for you? Because we do need those people. Quite a few years ago, about 10 years ago, I was involved in a beautiful home church, like a life group, that met on a Monday morning. And um, a group of ladies, mainly older than me in there, like I was early 30s and they were like 70 and 50 and 40, a whole lot of ladies. There was about 10 of us, so they, they wouldn't have fit on that inch piece of paper, sure. But I met with them every Monday morning and they were the most life, life-giving group of people probably I've ever met with. It was a very special time. And I used to think of that time early in my ministry when I had young kids and was a bit overwhelmed. I used to think of that time as a bit of a circling of the wagons. Have you heard that phrase before, to circle the wagons? I think a picture's going to come up. So this is a picture of circling the wagons. You can see the attackers on the outside and people trying to get on with their day-to-day duties on the inside. This phrase comes from the practice of drawing the wagons of a wagon train um, together into a circle to prevent against attack and to keep cattle and other livestock safe. And it comes from, really, originally, the settlement of the western part of the US. This is where it started. And they dragged wagon wagon trains, and um, when they were threatened by bandits or hostiles or Indians, part of their defence strategy was to circle the wagons and to retreat a little bit. And then they'd stand behind the wagons and try to do the odd shot shoot out. But their, their women and their children and people would be safe when the wagons were circled. And for me, in that season... That Monday morning was a bit of circling the wagons. It was, you know, tell, tell me, keep me safe. You know, remind me that I'm loved, that I'm a child of God, that I'm doing a pretty good job as a mum, that I'm not too bad as a core officer. Remind me of that. Who are those people in your life that circle the wagons with you from time to time, encourage you, speak positive into your life? Maybe it's just a friend or two. Maybe it's a mum. Maybe it is your life group who protect you and help you to feel safe. If you don't have people, reach out. Come and talk to me. Find some people. There are moments we need to circle the wagons like I did on a Monday morning. You know, there's also a time to get on the road. (laughs) They weren't doing much pioneering or gaining new territory or, you know, winning many souls or (laughs) saving many people in their community when they were circling the wagons. There's a time to circle the wagons. There's a time to be encouraged and to move on and to face the criticism to let the arrows shoot off you a little bit and to actually pioneer because the point is the pioneering. It's not the circling the wagons and staying safe, but that is so important. And finally this morning, as we wrap up, for the sake of ourselves but also of others, I think these verses from Ecclesiastes warn us that more than anything, we need to be not critical. We need to be perhaps creators rather than critics. We need to congratulate the effort rather than nitpick the results. I want my life to be about spending more time building people up or building things, building building rather than tearing down. 
not pointing out what someone should have done. It's a bit lazy and cowardly. And if we're honest, we know that we've been the critics at some times. Have a look at what verse 22 says, the second bit of it says, For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. If we're honest with ourselves this morning, we know that there's times where we've spoken negatively, where we've sat on the sidelines and thought we could do a better job and had a whinge, where we've been part of a household where we've whinged that we don't want Mexican tonight, that we want something else just to be a pain. In making a life, in making a family, in making a difference, in contributing to building God's church, it's so much better to be a creator than a critic. If you haven't had a look at the back of our hall yet, you need to go and do that after the service because it will be open. Have a look at what creation does, how much it encourages people, how much it lifts people up. Be a creator, not a critic. Would you join me this year in making that a little bit of a motto? You know, I want to be a creator. I don't want to sit on the sidelines and be a critic. This is something that sunk pretty deep for me a few years ago um, when I was feeling a little bit overwhelmed with feedback and um, a bit overwhelmed with what, where to go with it and, and what to do. And I know it's hard to believe, but everyone's got an opinion about, about my job especially. And the opinions often contradict each other and, and I'm learning more and more to listen to the opinions of some rather than all. I felt a bit flat, a bit tired. And I read a book, um, Phil talks about her all the time, Brene Brown. I read a book um, by her called Daring Greatly, a fantastic book. And um, she's, as I said, she's the same lady that's written a book just recently called Dare to Lead. And she quotes Theodore Roosevelt. And recently I reread this quote um, because she does quote it again in the book. And it's encouraging to me. It's inspiring. And it's not words from the Bible, but it's words from a lady that I believe God has inspired. Roosevelt, and she quotes Teddy Roosevelt. He says this. It's not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. Paul talks about finishing the race. Doesn't talk about not failing. He failed many times. But finishing the race, being in the action, being in the arena. Solomon knew all about that 6,000 years ago, that we waste our lives chasing after the approval of others who absolutely have no skin in the game, who aren't in the arena, who aren't circling the wagons with us. And he says, and let's take it again as a final warning this morning, don't Pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. And here's the warning for our behavior. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. He knew it was as meaningless as chasing after the wind. Don't pay attention to what people say. Instead, when the criticism comes, hold tight to your calling. Develop a filter. Circle the wagons from time to time if you need to. And let's be creators, not critics, knowing that when we curse, when we bring others down, we cause others to stumble too. We're going to remind ourselves one more time this morning about who God says I am. It's the title of that song, Who You Say I Am, because I always want that to define everything I do. And I encourage you to to reaffirm, I suppose, for yourself today 
that the person that you're serving is the God, is God. You have an audience of one in your life. You take the opinions of some close to you, but ultimately you're living for God's approval. And who does God say you are? It's not hard to please God. We're his child. Be the sun sets free. We're free. We're children of God. We're redeemed. We're restored. If you need some encouragement this morning, if you need to pray and to let some words that people have said about you, maybe some looks that people have given you go, then you can come this morning and to kneel and I'd love to pray with you here at the mercy seat. Maybe this morning you just need to decide for yourself in this new year, I'm not going to let the words of people decide what I do. I'm going to seek the feedback of a few and I'm going to worship and listen to the God who made me, who created me and who loves me. So take this time. You might like to, let's stand. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. But if you'd like to pray in this time, there's time to do that as well. Who am I the highest king would welcome?